It was a privilege and joy to be preaching God's Word to you this morning from the book of Psalms, Psalm 96. I invite you to turn there with me to Psalm 96. I know that may come as a surprise to some of you because we've been working through the book of Philippians. We'll continue our study of the book of Philippians, but we're going to take a break for just a couple of weeks and think about the relationship between missions and worship. We wanted to encourage Pastor Jeremy and Clay to take some time to rest, to spend some time with family. That's good. You can be in prayer for them. And then we'll all be back together again. I want to let you know, August 16th at 9 a.m., we're going to have one combined service out in the parking lot. Bring your lawn chairs, your picnic blanket, whatever you want to sit on. We'll be able to spread as far apart as we want to out in the parking lot. And we're going to celebrate baptisms and the Lord's table. We'll have stations set up where you can pick up the Lord's table elements. And we're going to worship Jesus Christ together. So I hope you're looking forward to that. So be looking forward to that on August 16th at 9 a.m. I'll invite you now to stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word from Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. And let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For He comes. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Join me in prayer. O Lord. We look forward to that day when you come. And until then, God, we pray that you would help us to see you clearly in your word. Give us your spirit. Give us eyes to see, Lord. We pray that you would help us now in these moments to focus our hearts and minds that we may behold your glory. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory. Amen. You may be seated. I had never experienced anything like it before. Now, I have been to major league sporting events, to SEC football games, to UK basketball games, but never had I ever seen anything like what I experienced at the first soccer game that I went to while we were living in Spain. Now, I'm sure like most of you, I myself, for most of my life, wouldn't have considered myself much of a soccer fan. Now, I I played soccer, I enjoyed playing soccer. But never really got into it. Never really had a favorite team. Never really watched it that much on TV or followed the different leagues and players. Just never was that much of a soccer fan. 
But that all changed after that game. We'd been living in Spain for a little while, and I thought, you know, people over here, they love soccer. Really, everywhere in the world, just about outside of the United States, loves soccer. And so I thought, you know, I should go to a game. And I had a friend coming over to visit, and so we got some tickets and went up in the nosebleeds of this uh, Atletico de Madrid game. And I'll never forget the experience. I mean, we were in there with like 60, 70,000 people, but I had been in big stadiums before with lots of people. That didn't impress me. But what impressed me was that from before the game started and through the whole game and after the end of the game, this whole stadium, almost entirely men, by the way, this whole stadium spent the whole game singing. And I'm not just talking about like, one fight song here, there, maybe after a big score, and then maybe like a chant in between. No, no, no. They were singing songs constantly through the whole game. I remember there was this group of, uh, they call them the super fans. They were all down behind the goal. They should have been called the praise team because they were leading the songs the whole time. They were, they would even do call and response songs where they would turn to different parts of the stadium and call to the people. They would even turn their backs on the game in order to call to the people to sing behind them, to sing back and forth and get the whole crowd into the game, singing, praising, getting energy for the team. And in classic soccer fashion, as the game was coming down to the end, it was tied 0-0, and I thought, oh, great. Pay all this money to see this game. I'm not even going to see a goal. But then with just a few minutes left, it happened. The home team scored, and the place absolutely exploded in celebration. It was awesome. It was an amazing experience. I, I was converted after that. I was changed into a soccer fan. And after that, I went around. I mean, I, I, I wanted to get all the team gear. I was trying to look up how to sing all the songs. I was watching highlight videos of old games. I was going to the North African tea shops with the Muslims we were working with and talking all about how great Atletico de Madrid was. It's the best soccer team in the world. They're going to win it all this year. All because I had seen one game and been swept up in the experience. It had been uh, by what I had seen. It had changed me. And in a far greater way, that's exactly what our text is describing in Psalm 96 this morning. You see, this text has this three-part cycle that it goes through. It begins with a call to worship, that a call for all creatures of our God and King to praise the Lord, to praise Him, to sing to Him, to praise Him for His glory. And then it moves into the second part, to God's people to go and declare His glory, to tell His glory to all nations. And then a third part, it describes God's glory so all peoples can see it. The big idea is that we are to praise God for His glory, to declare God's glory, and to see God's glory. It begins here in the first two verses with a worldwide call to worship. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. This psalm, this hymn of praise that would have been sung, begins by repeatedly calling all the earth to sing to the Lord, to praise Him with singing. But then something really interesting happens in the next lines. Look with me there. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. In one line, we went from singing to missions. What's going on here? 
At first glance, it looks like somebody from the tech team accidentally mixed up the slides from the missions training into the worship songs for Sunday morning. But this is no mistake because missions is worship. We praise the Lord directly when we sing to him. And we praise the Lord indirectly when we tell others about him, about who he is and what he has done for us. Just like I have heard people in our church praising different kinds of guitars or different kinds of trucks or guns or dogs. In the same way, we are to go and in our conversations with others, praise God to them. In God's kingdom, the worship team isn't just for the talented musicians or the gifted singers. And the missions team isn't just for those who feel called. In God's kingdom, you don't get to pick what team you want to be on because there's just one team. In God's kingdom, we are all a part of the praise the Lord team. Missions is all about praising God. It's all about worship. We cross cultural boundaries and we tell all people groups about the marvelous work of salvation that the Lord accomplished for us on the cross. And as we tell of his salvation, as we share the gospel, what we are doing is a form of worship. Evangelism is praising the Lord to others. Missions is taking that praise across languages and cultures to all peoples, to all the nations. Notice how this psalm emphasizes the extent of the Lord's praise, right? It says, all the earth is invited to praise the Lord. We are to praise him among all the peoples. Think about this for a moment. The first people to sing this psalm, who were they? Well, they were Jews living in Israel, surrounded by other nations, right? Some of those nations would have been allies, friendly nations, but some of those nations were their enemies. Some of those nations wanted to wipe Israel off the face of the planet. But God inspires the psalmist to write, go and tell of his salvation to all peoples. All peoples? (laughs) Even the Philistines? Even the Babylonians? Even the Romans? Listen, the Jews didn't want to go tell them about God's salvation and glory. Just ask Jonah, right? Jonah, God sent Jonah to declare his glory to the Ninevite people group. And it took three days and three nights in the belly of a big old fish before Jonah changed his mind. And even then, he still didn't want to go. But God didn't give Jonah or the Jews the option to just go to the peoples that they liked or the peoples that they wanted to be around and tell them about his glory. And God doesn't give us that option today either. You see, Jesus commanded us in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations includes those nations where it's going to be safe and easy to get into. And it includes those nations where it's going to be dangerous and require great sacrifice to get into to preach the gospel. And we shouldn't just think that this is limited to overseas people groups that are on the other side of the world. This applies, all peoples, this applies to all the peoples that are around here in Richmond, around us today. Declaring God's glory to all peoples includes the international student, who it's hard to talk to because English is their second language. It includes your homosexual neighbor. It includes that classmate that drives you crazy. 
It includes that coworker, that awkward coworker who you try to avoid in the break room. It includes all peoples. It, it includes those people who aren't like you and who you naturally wouldn't choose to be around. The only way that you're going to do this, the only way that you're going to praise God to all peoples, even to people who aren't like you, even to people who you naturally wouldn't choose to be around, even to the people groups where it's going to require great sacrifice to get to, the only way that you're going to praise the Lord to them is when you really see that you are a sinner and that you are not like God. Listen, you are not the kind of person that God would naturally like to be around because you are sinful and God is holy. As a matter of fact, lost in your sin, you're one of God's enemies. And yet, God took on flesh and came to us. Jesus ate and drank with sinners, with people who weren't like him. He hung out with people who weren't naturally the kind of people he would choose to be around. And then he went to the cross and made the greatest possible sacrifice so that by faith in him, we could be forgiven and spend eternity with God. God tells us why we should praise him to all peoples. In verse 4, look with me there. Why should we praise the Lord? Why should we declare his glory to all peoples? Verse 4, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The reason why we praise the Lord is the same reason why we do missions. The reason why we go to all the people groups of all the earth and tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ isn't first and foremost just because there's a lot of lost, poor, needy people in the world going to hell. That's true, but the primary reason that we do missions is not man-centered. It's God-centered. The reason why we go and tell them is because the Lord is great and he deserves to get great praise. Or, as John Piper puts it in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, missions exist because worship doesn't. The goal of missions is that the Lord will be worshipped. He will be praised for his glory, for his greatness, for who he is and what he has done. We absolutely want the nations to be saved, but not just so they can escape from hell. We want them to escape from hell, yes, but we want them to join us in worshiping and praising God for his greatness. We want the Lord to get the praise that he alone deserves from all peoples. Because right now, he's not getting it. Right now, the nations are worshiping false gods. But as the text says in verse 4, he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Notice how every time that the psalmist refers to God in this psalm, he uses the personal name that revealed to Moses. I am who I am. Yahweh, which we represent in our English Bibles as Lord with all capital letters. The nations should be giving all their praise specifically to the great I am, our great creator. But instead, the nations are giving the Lord's praise 
to worthless idols. The first people to sing this psalm, they would have sung these lines and they would have thought about the worthless idols around them like Dagon. Remember Dagon, one of the Philistine gods? Remember what happened when the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and they put the Ark in the temple of Dagon as some sort of trophy? Remember what happened? The priests come in the next day and there's Dagon, their idol, fallen down face to the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they take Dagon, their god, and they pick him back up. They set Dagon back on his two feet again. And they go out and the next day they come back. And there's Dagon back on the ground again with his face before the ark of the Lord on the ground. But this time his head is snapped off and his hands have broken off. Worthless idol. The first Christians to read these lines would have thought about the worthless idols, the statues around them of Zeus or Athena, the other worthless Greek or Roman gods. Protestant reformers in the 16th century, they would have read these lines and thought about the relics and images that were being worshipped. And today, we ought to read these lines and think about the worthless idols of our culture, like sex, entertainment, politics, health, wealth. These things have their place, but their place is not on the altar of our hearts. The Lord alone deserves all our praise and all the praise of all the people groups of the earth. He is worthy of our praise because he is our great creator. As verse 6 says, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Glory emanates from God like warmth emanates from a fireplace. There's so much glory in his presence that the angels cover their eyes and constantly cry out praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Praise is the natural response to the Lord. Because as Tom Wells puts it in his excellent little book, A Vision for Missions, worship is a response to greatness. The reason we praise the Lord from here to the ends of the earth is because He is great and He alone deserves greatly to be praised. Now pay attention to what happens in the rest of this psalm. Remember, Psalm 96 has this three-part cycle. This begins with this call to worship to all the world to praise God for His glory. Then to send out God's people to go and declare His glory. And then a description of His glory for us all to see. In verse 7, the cycle starts over again. And notice how all the peoples are called to praise the Lord this time. Verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. All the families of the people, that's all the people groups of the earth, are called upon to ascribe to the Lord. The word could also be translated give to the Lord. Now, we don't give to the Lord glory and strength as if he lacked it and we had a whole bunch of it that we could just help God out and give it to him. That's not what it means at all. What it means is that we give God credit for his glory. We recognize his glory. We acknowledge his glory and praise him for it. I wonder what it would look like for you to recognize and praise the Lord's glory 
at your home or in your neighborhood or at work or at school. Maybe you could invite an international student over for dinner and have them join you in family worship afterwards. Perhaps you could take a dessert over to your homosexual neighbor and talk to them about how you were thinking about Christ's command to love your neighbor and you wanted to serve them in light of that. I heard a story of a Christian sister once who, in her office, she didn't really like being around her coworkers that much because they would often take the Lord's name in vain. And so one day she finally decided, she announced that every time that she heard the name of Jesus Christ, she was going to respond, is Lord. And it didn't take long before that pattern of behavior changed in her office. What are the ways that you can praise God for his glory to others? Because by praising the Lord's glory to others, our hope is that we will find people who are receptive, who want to learn more, and that we'll be able to share the gospel with them. Because one of the best ways to praise the Lord to others is by clearly explaining to them the marvelous work that Jesus did for us on the cross. Like the psalmist, we want to call everyone on earth to praise the Lord for his glory. He continues in verse 8. Bring an offering and come into his courts. That's a reference to the courtyards of the temple where God's heavenly sanctuary was represented on earth. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Notice the words, the language that's being used here in these verses. The whole earth is to praise the Lord for his glory, strength, splendor, to praise him in his courts, in his sanctuary. It's the same sort of language that was used to describe the Lord's glory in verses 4 through 6. Think about what's going on here. It's a cycle of glory. God's people see his glory and praise him for it. They praise him directly to him, and then they praise him indirectly by talking about his glory to others. Then other people see his glory and praise him for it. And then what happens? Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Then the peoples, the other nations, they join us in praising the Lord to him and in praising him to other nations. They join us in telling of his salvation, of declaring his glory, that he is the reigning king of kings, that he is the creator who established the world, that he is the judge of all hearts. That's how missions works. It's a cycle of glory, of of God's people seeing the glory of God, of praising him for it to the nations, the nations seeing God's glory, and then they go and declare his glory to other nations. And that cycle continues until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. This all sounds great, doesn't it? If only it were that easy. Because there's one massive problem. This whole cycle begins not with praise, but with sight. Remember, worship is a response to greatness. But if we can't see his greatness, we can't worship him for it. In order for the nations to praise the Lord for his glory, they must see his glory. In order for them to see his glory, we must go and declare his glory to them. And in order for us to declare his glory, we must see his glory. 
but we can't. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that Satan has blinded our eyes from seeing the glory of God. Not only Satan, but our own sin blinds us from seeing God's glory. That sexual sin that you commit in secret, that jealousy in your heart, that angry outburst at your children, the worldly way that you live, it all blinds you from seeing God's glory. In our sinful flesh, it gets worse because in our sinful flesh, we cannot see the splendor or majesty of God's glory because it would destroy us. Moses tried to, right? Moses begged the Lord, please show me your glory. And he said, you can see a glimpse of my back, but you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. That's why Isaiah, remember Isaiah gets a glimpse of the glory of the Lord seated in his sanctuary. And Isaiah knows that apart from the mercy of God, he's a goner. That's why he cries out, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We are so sinful and God is so holy that even if we could see him in his glory right now, it would absolutely annihilate us. Since we can't see his glory, we don't praise him for his glory. And since we don't praise him for his glory, we don't see any reason to praise him for his glory among the nations. So instead, we set our sights lower to worthless idols. We bring offerings of time, money, energy to our worthless idols like control, self, comfort. We set our hearts and affections and give praise to our worthless idols like entertainment or sex or politics. We break the cycle of glory with our idolatry. And for that reason, we deserve to be condemned and spend an eternity suffering for our sins in hell. And you can be sure that the Lord will judge the peoples with equity. He will judge everyone fair and square. He will not miss one single sin. He will not miss one single person. He is coming and he will judge us all for all of our sins. That's what we see in these final verses in Psalm 96. These final verses look forward to the judgment day when the Lord comes to judge the earth. The psalm begins with a call to the whole earth to sing to the Lord. And now in the final verses, we see the whole earth doing just that. Verse 11. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. The psalmist goes back to the order of creation and describes how all of nature will joyfully praise the Lord. Why? Verse 13. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. When the Lord comes to judge all the earth, creation will explode in celebration and praise. Because on that day, 
the curse will be reversed. Now, when we think about Judgment Day, we rightly think of ourselves in the courtroom in the seat of the defendant. But the creation is not. The creation is not in the seat of the defendant. The creation is in the seat of the plaintiff. The, the sky and the land, the sea, the plants, the animals, they never committed any crimes against the Lord. And yet, when Adam committed the first crime and sinned against the Lord, he was cursed, all of humanity was cursed, and what did the Lord say to Adam? Cursed is the ground because of you. All of creation was cursed too. But on the day when the righteous judge of all the earth comes and judges the world, he will set all things right and he will reverse the curse. On that day, the creation will explode in celebration and praise to the Lord because the new heavens and the new earth are coming where righteousness dwells. On that day, we will all see the light of the glory of the Lord. All people will see it. Some people on that day will see the light of the glory of the Lord and like disgusting cockroaches, they will flee in terror from it. But other people on that day will see the light of the glory of the Lord and like beautiful moss, they'll be irresistibly drawn to it in praise. What's the difference between the roaches and the moss? One word. Grace. Since we cannot see the glory of the Lord because we are blinded by our sin, blinded by Satan, the Lord graciously took on flesh and dwelt among us so that we could see his glory. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made known. Philip, one of the disciples, asked Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Do you know what this means? It means that everyone on earth can see the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. But not everyone does. The Jews didn't. The blind guides, the religious leaders of the day, stirred up the crowds to crucify Jesus. Blind sinners crucified the Lord of glory, and yet it was for blind sinners that the Lord of glory was crucified. On the cross, Jesus brought an offering of his body and blood into the courts of the Lord on our behalf for our sins. On the cross, the whole earth trembled. An earthquake split the veil of the curtain in the Holy of Holies in two. On the cross, Jesus died in weakness. But three days later, he rose in strength from the tomb. His disciples, they saw the splendor and majesty of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And they ran to tell others and declare his marvelous work of resurrection. When they all had gathered together, Jesus sent them out 
to go and make disciples of all nations. And they went telling the nations about God's glory, about God's glory revealed in Jesus Christ, about His marvelous work of salvation on the cross. And some of those nations saw the glory. They saw the glory of the Lord and they repented and believed in Jesus. And then those nations went with the gospel, with the good news to other nations and declared it to them. And that cycle of glory continues to this very day, to this very moment. Right now, I am declaring to you the glory of the Lord in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right now, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, you can see the glory of the Lord. Right now, if the Holy Spirit opens your blind eyes to see His glory, your life will never be the same. Getting a glimpse of His glory in the gospel will change your life far more than seeing some silly soccer game. When you see it, then you will want to praise Him for it. Then you'll want to praise Him to others. The more you see it, the more you'll want to do that. As you see His glory day by day, then you will want to declare His praise to others day by day. Right now, we can see His glory in part through His Word and in the Gospel lived out in the community of the church. But on that day, on the day when He comes, we will all, with unveiled face, behold the full glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. On that day, we will join together with Christians from all nations, with all of creation, and sing a new song to the Lord. We will praise Him with never-ending joy because we will see Him forever.